You're listening to What Does the Word Say, a series of podcasts on biblical theology produced by Grace and Glory Media. My name is Mark Roby, and I'm your host for this series. Our teacher is Dr. Richard Spencer. We're resuming our study of theology today by continuing our examination of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. In our last session, Dr. Spencer, you noted that Christians must be members of a local church and must participate in that church, including being subject to its discipline. You noted that the modern trend toward the online church is unbiblical except for short periods of time in exceptional circumstances. How would you support those statements? I'd like to begin by noting that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we are commanded, quote, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And when the author of Hebrews speaks about the day approaching, the Reverend P.G. Matthew explains that he is speaking about the day when we shall see God face to face, either at our death or at his second coming. That's right. Christianity is not about making this life a little better, although it certainly does that. It is, first and foremost, about eternity. Human beings are created for eternity. Death is the curse that came as a result of the fall. It is not natural, as our modern atheistic culture portrays it. And death is not the end of existence, either. It is separation. We noted back in session 104 that physical death is the separation of the body and spirit, while spiritual death is the separation of the spirit from fellowship with God. Physical death is temporary. All people will be united with their physical bodies when Christ returns, not just Christians. Paul said in Acts chapter 24, verse 15, that there will be, quote, a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, unquote. Those who have not surrendered to Christ will be given bodies fit for eternity in hell, while Christians will be given bodies fit for eternity in heaven. Christians must live in view of this eternal reality, and the one thing necessary is to make sure that our eternal destiny is with God in heaven. People often want to deny the existence of these two eternal realities, but the Bible's very clear on this subject. Yes, it is, and we all need encouragement as we make this pilgrimage to heaven because we have real enemies opposing us. The purpose of church is not just to hear a word preached to impart some information. If that were the case, then watching a sermon online or on TV would fill the need. But even though the sermon is the focal point of a worship service, there is much more that goes on. And even if you only consider the sermon, it's very different being present in person than it is to listen or watch remotely to a recording. This verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which tells us to meet together, is a conclusion from the teaching the writer has been giving about our need to worship together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, we have the opening sentence of this section. And it's a long sentence. Let me read it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. That sentence is typical of the scriptures. 
it presents us with a very logical argument. People often pit faith and reason against each other, but that is completely wrong. True faith requires the maximal use of our reason. And so the writer begins by saying, therefore. We should immediately stop and think, because this word tells us that he is drawing a conclusion based on the preceding material. Also, he says, therefore, brothers. So we can conclude that what he is about to say only applies to true believers. He then goes on to provide the basis for this conclusion by quickly summarizing two main points he has been making. He first says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We should remind those listeners who may not know that the most holy place refers to the inner room of the temple in Jerusalem, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The only person who could go into that room was the high priest, and he could only go in one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he had to go in with blood. Blood had to be shed to cleanse sin. In the temple sacrifices, this was the blood of animals, which pointed forward to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out two very important things in this passage. First, we now come by the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals. The writer had previously made the point in Hebrews 10 verse 4 that, quote, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, unquote. And then in verse 10, he had said that, quote, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, the sacrifice of Christ accomplished what all those animal sacrifices could only hint at. The blood of Christ is efficacious and truly atones for our sins. Exactly. And when the writer said that we have been made holy, he was speaking of what is called definitive sanctification. In other words, the fact that we are radically changed by new birth and are new creations. He also wrote just a few verses later in verse 14 that by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And he means that it is Jesus Christ who has made us perfect in him. If we were perfect in ourselves, it would make no sense to refer to us as he does in this verse as those who are being made holy rather than those who have been made holy as he said before. Being made holy refers to a process that is still underway, which is called progressive sanctification. And both are true. There is a radical, definitive difference when a person is born again, and there's also a continuing process by which God continues to work in us to make us holy. And it's for this reason that we can have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Yeah, that is the argument the author is making. The Reverend Matthew comments on these verses saying that, quote, As children of God, we have confidence. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ, then we are holy brothers, beloved of God, unquote. The writer of Hebrews then also gave us a second reason for our confidence. He wrote, And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Which is, of course, again referring to Jesus Christ, He is not only the perfect sacrifice, he's also the perfect high priest. Yes, he's both. And the Reverend Matthew writes that, quote, We are God's temple and his priests, and over this spiritual house is our great high priest, Jesus Christ, unquote. That is our second reason for coming to God with confidence. 
That statement by Reverend Matthew probably needs some explaining for some of our listeners. He refers to us as God's temple, which is biblical. For example, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And secondly, Reverend Matthew refers to us as God's priests. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as Reverend Matthew points out, Jesus Christ himself is our great high priest. Therefore, given both of these facts, namely that we have been made holy through Jesus' sacrifice and that he is our high priest, we are told that we can enter the most holy place with confidence, which means that we can come into God's presence with confidence. And then, having summarized these two reasons for confidence, the writer exhorts us to do three things. The first of those three things is stated in the long opening sentence you read. It is to draw near to God. The second thing he exhorts us to do is in the next verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's right. We must firmly hold on to our profession of faith. God himself is faithful, and we must be also. Then the third exhortation is in the next verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, quote, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, unquote. This is a significant part of the purpose of the church. To spur one another on includes encouraging, rebuking, helping, teaching, fellowshipping with one another, and so on. And that cannot be accomplished if we're all sitting in our own living rooms listening to a sermon. It requires that we be together, which then leads to the verse we started with, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which tells us to not forsake the meeting together. Yeah, I think it's clear that watching a service on the internet or TV doesn't satisfy what the author meant by meeting together in that verse. No, it doesn't at all. Now, as I said last time, there are times when it may be appropriate for a short season. For example, if I have the flu, I shouldn't go to church and spread it around. And if it is possible for me to watch a service that I miss, that's a good thing. But if I'm healthy and able to go, I should be in church with my brothers and sisters. There can certainly be legitimate differences of opinion about what kinds of precautions were and are justified by the COVID pandemic or other unusual circumstances, but Christians should put a very high priority on worshiping God together. And that means far more than just sitting in a room together to listen to a sermon and sing a few hymns. As we've discussed before, it means having real fellowship and being accountable to one another being involved in each other's lives, helping one another in a myriad of ways that go far beyond the Sunday church service. In other words, being a part of a local community of believers, which is in many ways like a large family. That's exactly the picture we should have, a family. There was a very disturbing article in the Wall Street Journal recently about the changes brought about in churches by the COVID pandemic. What did you find disturbing about it? that a number of church leaders simply want to try and change church to fit this new trend in society. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm certainly not saying that you can't change anything about the way a church operates. That would be silly. 
nor am I suggesting that you can't use modern technology like the internet to reach people. That would also be silly, especially if I said it on a podcast, which makes use of modern technology. Yeah, that would be hypocritical to say the least. Yes, it would. But a church needs to be extremely careful about making changes just to conform to changes in the society. Yes, we want to reach people, but the purpose of Christianity is to present the old-fashioned gospel message to unbelievers and then to build up believers so that we can walk faithfully before God and do the work He has given us to do. It is God's business who He saves. Our job is simply to preach the gospel and to live a life that is consistent with our preaching. That leads to an obvious question. What do you think of the modern idea of so-called seeker-friendly churches? Well, to be completely blunt, the idea is unbiblical on its face. We're told clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, that there is, quote, no one who seeks God, unquote. Jesus also told us in John chapter 6, verse 44, that, quote, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, unquote. Now, there certainly are people in whom God is working, and the church should not offend and drive such people away. But if we try to avoid offending them by changing the message of the gospel or by changing our worship service so that it feels comfortable to them, like going into a coffee shop or a concert, we have a problem. Yeah, you just described many churches, a coffee shop and a concert. And that's a problem. Where is the reverence? Where is the recognition of the fact that we are sinners coming into the presence of a holy and just God? We don't bless God by coming to church on Sunday. He blesses us tremendously by allowing us to come into His presence. He blesses us tremendously by giving us His Word. Evangelism is a good thing. In fact, we are commanded to go and tell the world the gospel. And we should be welcoming of visitors in our churches. But we must preach the unadulterated full gospel. As Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And we always have to remember that the Holy Spirit must work in the heart of an unbeliever, or the gospel is foolishness to him. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's very true. Whenever someone tries to remove the offense from the gospel, they actually remove its power. People have to be told that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They cannot save themselves. If there is no ultimate judgment and no hell, then there really is nothing to be saved from. But, as the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21, regarding the child that Mary was carrying, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That is the only reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. And since this is the final podcast before Christmas, it's appropriate to remember that fact. Jesus Christ is eternal God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity and enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity before becoming man. It is incredible to think about the sacrifice that God made in sending His Son to become a man and to die for our sins. I don't think we can possibly grasp the magnitude of that sacrifice. We must always remember that God did not have to create this universe at all. He had no need. He created for his own pleasure and purpose. And he made man in his image to have fellowship with him. 
and he gave man the greatest possible purpose, which is to know and glorify him. But he did this knowing that man would sin. And then, in eternity past, God chose a specific group of people to save out of the mass of sinful humanity. And in his eternal counsel, God the Father planned our salvation, God the Son agreed to accomplish our salvation, and God the Holy Spirit agreed to apply that salvation to individual sinners. And those of us who enjoy the great privilege of being chosen by God must praise him, thank him, love him, and walk in grateful obedience all of life while we look forward to seeing him face to face and spending eternity in his presence. Yes, we must. We must always remember that we are no better than people who were not chosen to be saved. It was not because of anything in us or anything we have done or will do or could do. It was merely God's sovereign choice to love us and save us. Hallelujah. That is certainly the greatest gift that anyone could ever possibly receive. I agree. And so I'll close this session by wishing all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas. May Jesus Christ truly be your Savior, your Lord, and your greatest joy. I join you in wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. And let me also remind our listeners that they can send questions or comments to info at whatdoesthewordsay.org. We'll do our best to answer. You've been listening to What Does the Word Say? Brought to you by Grace and Glory Media. And I'm Mark Roby. In our next session, Dr. Spencer will continue to examine the doctrine of ecclesiology, and we hope you'll join us. The session you heard today is available, along with all other sessions, in the archive on our website at whatdoesthewordsay.org. We also have a free book available to you entitled Good News for All People, written by Rev. P.G. Matthew, founder and senior minister of Grace Valley Christian Center. To request your free copy of this excellent summary of the biblical message of salvation, go to whatdoesthewordsay.org.